0: This is the third, this is the second I think of three uh, readings from Matthew 13 where it's all about parables, all about stories that Jesus tells to try and explain the extraordinary nature of what he's talking about that in Matthew he calls the kingdom of heaven. And this one is obviously a story of good and evil and I think we should read it as That's the way the world is. That's the way we are, full of good and evil. And we don't know how it happens. We don't know why it happens. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and then went away. The big human question is, from where does evil come? This is the question that we've been asking all of human existence we know that we're like this we are a mixture of the good and the bad we've got great intentions and the follow-through oh, not just not so good most of the time we know we should eat better sleep more lose some weight get some exercise we know all that we've got books about it our intentions are fine How come we're like this? How come we're full of contradictions? Paul asks this very same question in the seventh chapter of his letter to the Romans. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. I don't know how your days go, but that pretty much encapsulates my days. So where does evil come from? Well, one of the obvious choices is it comes from outside of us. It comes from the devil. It comes from spirits. It comes from the capricious gods who seem to play dice with the universe. And it must be driven out. The devils must be driven out by special incantations and rituals or kept at bay with proper sacrifice and the way of doing things. And we must constantly be on our guard because evil comes from outside and it could get into us. And the explanation that we get, and we're going to go on to talk about the explanation in a minute, but the explanation already says that the enemy is the devil. But the Bible's not really that clear on what the devil is or what it means. It, there's words like Lucifer, the evil one, Beelzebub, the devil, the Satan. And the Bible's not really clear on where that comes from or what it's like. It's as if the Bible, because it's written by people like you and I, is as dark as we are on where this comes from. We were asleep and somebody came and sowed weeds in, in the wheat. One of the other explanations we've had all through history is that evil comes from people different to us. Non-believers. Non-believers or Jews, or women. A lot of that in the Bible. Or the mentally ill, who somehow infect the rest of us. Or left-handed people. Those of us who are left-handed. A couple of hundred years ago, if you were left-handed, that was some sign of evil, or an evil spirit. And of course, all sources of evil that are outside of us must be driven out or controlled And isn't our history littered with that story? Isn't the 20th century soaked in blood since the Second World War because of that story, that evil comes from somewhere else and it must be driven out? Or we say, well, maybe it just comes from within us and we've got to be more morally upright. We've got to have better self-discipline. We've got to be more religiously faithful. We should turn up to church all the time. Or a more contemporary version of that is, well, it's about a lack of education. If we were to educate ourselves better, if we were to be more broad-minded, then we would understand the evil that's within us and we would deal with it. But didn't we shoot that down in the 20th century too? Wasn't Germany and Austria the two most civilised and best educated and highest literary rates of any nation in Europe? Is it education? Well, we've got to do something, surely. Except, look at what this story says next. We think we should... Tear it out. That's what you do with evil. We should deal with it. We should show how different we are to that and exercise it, get get rid of it. We should enforce better morality, better laws. We should have better religion. We should read the Bible more. We should pray harder. What does the story say, though? What should we do? Nothing. Let both of them grow together, the story says, until the harvest. Oh, well, that's okay, because then we should do something. Well, no. At the harvest, I will tell the reapers to reap, not you. We're supposed to do nothing. How can this story make any sense? Not only that, we're supposed to do worse than nothing because many of the English translations have the, have the Greek word translated as let. Let the weeds grow along with the wheat. But most often in the scriptures, this same word is translated as forgive. So not only are we supposed to let things go, we're supposed to forgive evil. How many times are we supposed to forgive what does the Bible say? Seven times seven. Have you ever? Did? What we know what that means. It's just over and over and over and over again. Let them both grow together. Acknowledge the truth of our situation. Don't try to cover it up. We are the ones sowed full of weeds. All of us. You, me, your mother, your father, your kids, if you've got them, your next door neighbour. Donald Trump, Anthony Albanese, it's it's all of us. And we don't understand it. How does this act? Well, the enemy has done this. It's just the way the world is. We ought to be living with humility and forgiveness of each other and of ourselves. It's what it means to be human. We've been telling this story all through Western history. We talk about the dragon all through Western culture. It's all through our mythology. The dragon is the half angel. It's got the wings. And the half devil. It's the serpent with all the scales. That's the nature of the dragon. And what are we trying to do all through Western culture? Kill the dragon. But we never can. This is the reality that we're in. So what are we supposed to do? Nothing. Not according to this story. But we want to do things. We've got agency. We've got the ability to make decisions. We've got the ability to come up with 10-year plans and mission statements and new, New Year's resolutions. We can do things. That's why we love celebrity. It's because they appear to be people who can do whatever they like, whenever they like. They've got plenty of money and plenty of prestige. What are we supposed to do though? Nothing. And it's so hard for us to do nothing. And it's really hard for us to do nothing in the Uniting Church because we come from that culture of church where we talk a lot. And here I am, up here with a microphone yelling at you. This is what we do. We talk. We're not really good at Doing nothing. What if we were to sit in silence? Well, after 30 seconds, I'd be looking at my watch. And we don't know. We're, we're supposed to do something. We're not supposed to just sit here. It's so hard for us to do nothing. In fact, we're so good at not doing nothing, of, of, of making sure that everything looks okay, that we scrub up really well for Sundays. I was talking to a person only last year who said to me, no, no, I'm, I, I, I like the idea of church. And once I get myself sorted out, then I'll start to come. Why? Because the church is full of people who've got themselves sorted out. Well, we've got them all fooled, haven't we? <laughs> I mean, most of us look okay this morning, don't we? You, look, you all look great from here. But we know it's not that way. And what are we supposed to do? Nothing. That's the shock of this story. That's why we've got the explanation. You only had to hear the explanation to realise it was a completely different kind of text than the story itself. Because the story is full of mystery and, and not being able to understand and being, all of Jesus' parables are stories that you're invited into. But the explanation gives it line after line after line, doesn't it? Now, most biblical scholars will say the explanation is actually an insert. It was put in there either by the, the writer of, the Matthew, of Matthew's Gospel, we don't know who that was, or by a later editor, because the, most, the, most, the oldest versions of these Gospels that we have are at least 100 years after they were written, some of them 200 years. So they've been transcribed numbers of times. And this is such a shocking story That an editor has tried to put something in there to make it seem like it makes sense. Because otherwise, we're stuck with this story of not knowing. I'm much more of the view that Jesus actually said these words. But that what he was meaning was, look, because the disciples said, explain this story to us. Jesus tells stories all the time. And he hardly ever explains them. And he doesn't explain them because they're supposed to grow in us and germinate in us like a seed. There's a previous story that's all about seeds to this one as well. I think Jesus is saying something like, look, you really want an explanation? You really don't want to just let this grow in you and see what it means and what it can develop and how it could grow? OK, you you're not willing to live with open-endedness With mystery. All right, this is what it sounds like if you don't do that. If you're not willing to let things germinate within you. If you want everything tied up with a bow and neat and tidy and codified. It ends up like this explanation dead and lifeless and predictable. About as mysterious as watching somebody set up a McDonald's franchise. You all know what's coming. It'll be the same old stuff. That's all we get. Because this is why Jesus says in a very mysterious thing just before this reading for those who have, more will be given, and for those who and they will have it in abundance. For those who have, more will be given, and they will have it in abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. I think Jesus is saying, if you have in inverted commas, if you think you've got it all sorted out and all organised, well, you'll get more of that. There'll be plenty of it. But for those who have nothing, those who see this story for what it really is, the truth about what it means to be a human being, it'll all be taken away. All that certainty about how to be upright and strong and how to be good and faithful and religious and Christian and... All of that will be gone. And what will you be left with? Just you and God. So how does the story end? Well, the explanation, to call it that, says this. Angels will come and they will collect out of the kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into a furnace of fire where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's good, isn't it? Except the causes of sin and all evildoers, that's us. There'll be nobody left. That's the point of the explanation. Jesus is saying, if this is the explanation you want, where you exorcise, you you cut out the evil from the good, you throw away all the people who are evil, whether they're left-handed, people with mental illness, Jews, women, whatever you want to call them, foreigners, this is what you'll end up with. All causes of sin and evildoers. That's what we're talking about here. But no, Jesus says this in the story itself. Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the weed into the barn. The good news is it's about cleansing and wholeness. That it is possible at some point in the future in your life But all the evil will be dragged out and tossed into the fire and you will be pure and whole. Not the split person that Paul talked about. I've got the good intention, but this is what I do. This is what I want to do, but this is what I end up doing. I'm split down the middle and I've got a massive headache. That's my life. That's the life of every human being. But no the weeds will be collected and burned away and there will be wholeness. We will be, as it says in the Gospel of Luke, at the end of one of Jesus' miracles, we will sit clothed and in our right minds. Don't you want that? If you do wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning not to have thoughts running through your head of what you should have done in the day or what you should do in the next day or what, where you failed... And the longer you live, the more failures there are to remember. Don't you long to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because you need to go to the toilet or you just woke up and to feel good and true thoughts about yourself and about the people you know? Don't Don't you long to be full and whole? That's what the story's about. I feel like it's still a way off for me, quite a way off, There seems a lot more weeds than there are wheat. But there is wheat there. In all my good days, my kids, my grandkids, my partner, they can see some wheat, I think, I hope. There is a lot of weeds. But this is the hope. The hope of wholeness, purity, cleanliness, sitting clothed and in our right minds.